Welcome to the Community Builder Podcast. The world is our classroom, and every moment is an opportunity to understand human connection at a newer level. On this podcast, we'll explore the minds of active community builders as they strive to leave their imprint on the world. Travis King. Let's build. I love it, man. So, um, I, yeah, I would love to hear quick, too, how you guys, you know, met and, like, what that origin story looks like. Yeah, sure. Uh, Rob and I actually worked together at a, at a major holding company. We were, we were part of a team of uh, digital specialists. The project we brought together on was to work in the world of healthcare. And so it was what, like a six month, six or seven month assignment, I guess all in, Rob. Yeah, and, something like that. Yeah. And, uh, the assignment itself was kind of more of the status quo of just doing a website and kind of doing a, a patient portal. I mean that in the sense that Rob and I had, had done projects like that, uh, literally hundreds of times. So, uh, we, we kind of passed the time in terms of doing, uh, this kind of routine project, I should say. Kind of just hitting off, talking about tech, sports, which are two of our biggest loves, and just always enjoyed working together. And so after that project, Rob found another opportunity in Tennessee. I moved on to a couple different spots, and uh, there was just always an admiration to want to work together again. So so here we are. That's what I'm talking about. Making it happen. <laughs> so we do. I know it's just kind of like a way of life now, right? You got you got to do it, man. Yeah, you know, I was having a conversation with a friend who works in HR uh, just a few days ago, and kind of one of the things we were talking about of if you're starting a company from the ground up, and there's so many different theories, but how do you hire? And I, I think a lot of people have really um, been captivated or compelled by like the Billy Bean and. Moneyball for non-sports, right? Like, how do you do Moneyball in advertising or tech? But we both kind of agreed that working with people that you know to kind of form that culture, it usually makes the the, the most sense because you, you know what you're getting. It's a known commodity. You know the chemistry is going to be there, and you kind of know who to pull into that type of environment, who can supplement your weaknesses to make sure that there is diversity and inclusion, etc. So I think it's just the right way to go building things. Hundred percent. It seems like with you two, it's kind of like the dynamic duo, and one has strengths that the other one doesn't have, and then your areas of opportunity, even if it's a weakness for the other, by combining your forces, you both can, you know, create that weakness and turn it into an opportunity. Versus, whereas if you're a solo founder, you don't really have that other, you know, head to bounce things off of. You're kind of just like, uh, like who can I go to to get advice on this thing? I think that's a really interesting insight. And the one other thing that I've always appreciated with working with Cam is, you know, those, those, uh, you know, you mentioned the weaknesses can turn into opportunities. It never really has ever felt like a vulnerability for me. It's, uh, you know, identifying an area that, you know, he may be stronger in that, uh, than I am. It's always something that I, you know, I feel like I am, have an open line of communication with him where he'll always push me to get better in that space and point me in the right direction. Whereas unfortunately in some 
areas of this day and age in corporate America, people will see that vulnerability and, and swallow you whole. So it's been a really good working relationship and I feel blessed that, you know, we have an opportunity to work together again. I love it. I don't know if this is like a good segue, but like the voice world, like you, you guys are homies, you guys are, are friends, you guys have similar minds and obviously enjoy working together. But like, where did the idea of working in voice pop up for you both? I mean, I mentioned that we're always, we've always been super interested in technology. Um, and that's, that's kind of top of mind for me. I think uh, Cam and I have both kept our ear to the ground with the latest and greatest technology and trends in the digital space on an ongoing basis. It's something we've always talked about. It's brought us closer together as, uh, you know, buddies and, and, you know, uh, business partners. And I think voice has been uh, an area that we've had our eye on for some time now. And really just a couple of years ago, just really felt like we had to make a push to get into the space before it became too late, really becoming an expert in the space before, uh, you know, it, it absolutely took off was critical for us. So, I can't, I don't know if you want to elaborate on that. Yeah, there's kind of two ways to answer that question of kind of like, I think voice in itself as a form of communication is powerful. I see it as the most engaging form of communication. Uh, it stimulates us cognitively and it sparks our imagination. Um, and I think the power of using like a voice platform is it allows us to convey tonality, different meanings and emotions in ways that are lost in the written word. So think about like that late night text message when parents try to use emojis and you're like, what are they trying to say? I think voice makes us human in the fact that it connects us. And so that what, that's what attracted me to getting involved in voice. I think in terms of why we are working in voice as a platform, when you think about stats, like there's 66 million users in the U.S. In 20, 2018, uh, 60% of people use the voice speaker daily out of the users. 50% of users use it 45 minutes a day. And uh, one out of five users make purchases on them. Uh, we haven't seen that type of adoption uh, in terms of the consumer market. And so that just kind of felt like that's not a trend. Like that's not beacons or, or, or that's not VR. Like this is a change in lifestyle. And so my radar kind of went off in terms of this is something I want to get involved in, I think kind of the proof of concept to me that was happening organically before even I realized I wanted to work in voice is like my wife, Kelly, runs our whole household off of voice platforms, be that Alexa, but I was seeing her do her morning routines, getting the weather, the news, and listen to her calendar by just saying, good morning, Alexa. She was running our shopping list through Alexa and managing the kids, et cetera. So I just really was like, I love my wife, but she's not a tech, a tech person like me and Rob. But I kind of realized if she's having so much success and finding efficiency through using Alexa, this could really be something for mass adoption and mass consumption. Yeah, just to elaborate on a little bit more, Cam and I being in Having foundation in the marketing world, always had an appreciation for the concept of storytelling. And, you know, the concept of storytelling through the spoken word is nothing new. It's been around for thousands of years. It's often referred to as oral tradition in a lot of old textbooks. And the origins are tied to the human's desire to interact with each other and ultimately pass along messages about their experience living in the world around them. 
think about before the arrival of formal language came and we're drawing on walls and human evolution came about and we started to advance our approaches to storytelling. We had spoken word, books, you know, then we started to see technological advances. But ultimately, we see voice as the latest advancement and, you know, really believe strongly that this is going to be the future of uh, how we're going to interact and share stories with others about the world around us. So something we're super excited about getting into. A little bit of a nerd as far as reading uh, philosophy. And there's a lot of authors and scholars that have, have debated on the number of archetypes that um, we can create to define the human experience. Young, uh, Joseph Campbell, Christopher Booker. Uh, Booker comes to mind just because he wrote a book in 2004 that I read called The Seven Basic Plots, Why We Tell Stories. And in short, really what he's getting at there is there's really small number of plots that are out there that are consistently establishing a fundamental framework of the way we tell stories. Uh, and we thought it was really interesting that, you know, it's virtually impossible to tell story outside of these frameworks. And because there's common truths in the way we tell stories, we felt like that, you know, there, that's going to be true in the, the way we approach voice as well. Just allow brands to really interact and communicate their message and be relatable with their customers and establish that personal connection. Ultimately felt it was a way to, to use technology to stay engaged with you know, the people that they're, they're trying to target. Oh boy. My brain is like firing <laughs> all cylinders after all that information, y'all. I'm like, I want to go in so many different directions only because a bunch of the data that you showed them about, you know, the numbers as far as voice is concerned. And also like the way that your, you know, your wife runs your house with Alexa and you even mentioned she's not the techiest person, which is wild to me. And then even going back to some of the stuff you talked about, Rob, of, you know, the fundamental frameworks of storytelling and how there's there are truths that we literally can't get away from. So I'm like, oh, which <laughs> way do we go? I honestly I'm I'm curious, like w instead of going into you know one of those directions, like what maybe we can maybe we can go talk on this a little bit. Compared to the other platforms that are out there today, right? There's, yeah. you know, the written word, there's video, there's sense of smell, there's all sorts of different ways that people engage and interact with all types of stuff. But like, what makes voice different than other platforms, if you guys, you know, have to say? So, um, yeah, Rob, I'll, I guess I'll start off and, and you can overlay. I think, I, I think taking it to kind of more of the heady angle, uh, cognitively, there is something that uh, is elicited in our brains. If you've ever been at, if you're going camping as a child or even now, one of the things we often talk about is the campfire effect of when somebody said, let me tell you a story. And that phrase uh, in itself triggers you cognitively. If you want to lean in and you want to hear what that person wants to say, you're disarmed. So in the sense of you're, you're willing to hear what their perspective and the story that they want to tell, you're ready to be educated. And so I think that, first and foremost, is what makes voice different. And let me be clear, we're not anti any other platforms. We're, we're heavy on social media. I'm on probably like 20 group text threads across my family, friends, and, and colleagues. So it's not that we, we're knocking any of those, but we just feel like there's certain uh, shortcomings that they have that voice doesn't. And so we just see voice great connector of making us human again versus where those other um, mediums kind of fall short. As far as 
what we tell brands or, or we work with influencers and athletes as well of why it's different than doing, say, a social media campaign or a traditional digital campaign is our saying, as always, we see voice as real estate. Um, and what we mean by that is it's an ownable space for you to share with your audience. And since you own that space, you're not fighting to share that with other brands. So a phrase we throw a lot around a lot at the office, and uh, I have to give the appropriate credit where it's due because Rob and I did not come up with it. Our, our uh, executive creative director, Nick Childs, um, what's up to Nick, came up with the idea of kind of fighting the feed. And the idea of that was if you go on Instagram, you're fighting the feed in the sense of everyone scrolling through image after image. And so how do you create a brand stop in power so someone is actually kind of sitting with your post and digesting the content that you have? And this kind of feels like in today's realm of social media, we're just fixated on what's new and I'm going to continue to scroll versus really spending time with your brand. And so if you kind of take that off, off social media and have a voice channel, there's an opportunity for you to message and connect with your audience without having to worry about competitors being on that real estate with you. So that's really where we see the big opportunity for brands of making a, a real estate play and having an ownable space to interact with your, with your audience and message whatever you need to to them uh, and drive sales. We also had the insight, you know, we really just recognized that humans are habitual by nature and felt like voice was the perfect technology to try and tap into that fact that, you know, humans tend to get into regular routines. Uh, we felt integrating flash briefings into everyday lives really provided a unique opportunity for major brands to cash in on. It really it just allows them to insert their own voice into the day-to-day experience of their customers. So it's something we're, we're definitely, you know, we've seen adoption from our initial uh, clientele and really feel confident that we're going to continue more and more so due to the fact that uh, the voice technology tends to get, you know, just weaved into people's day-to-day lives. One quick question for you both. <laughs> so, Cam, you mentioned that you see voice as real estate. What sorts of ways can people that are listening also maybe implement that in their own worlds, right? Like, how could you, like, how, what are some ways that you guys help people capture the real estate of, you know, voice? Yeah, so I, I worked in the world of content and social media um, for several years. And one of the challenges that we were, my groups were always tasked with was showing sales attribution. So proving that a like led to store visit or a comment about how great something was actually led to the purchase of that product. And so one of the challenges I, I, I've often found for service brands on, say, Instagram, and again, not knocking Instagram, I'm heavy on it, love the platform, but Let's just talk men's fashion for a while because we right now are in talks with a number of custom tailors. Essentially, J. Crew, Suit Supply, Bonobos, they all pull from the fashion runways, right? And so their winter line is pulled from what was shown in Milan, and they're making their version of it at the price point that fits their audience. And kind of one of the things like, hey, I'm, I'm a dad. Like, you know, I ball on a budget. I'm not going to lie. So oftentimes I might see that. You know, see that Burberry or Armani shirt, but then buy the Bonobos version of it. And from a social media platform, it's hard to not, it's difficult to kind of show the attribution of Cam saw this shirt, but bought the one that he wanted. 
And so, or the one that he could, that was within his budget, excuse me. So I, I think it's something of a conversation we've been having with these custom tailors is instead of just promoting your line on Instagram and then maybe, you know, Travis is just busy with work. So he has no time to go to your boutique. So he's going to go to J crew, which is at the mall right next to where he works is if you're on a voice platform, you can actually have a notification waiting for Travis when he goes home or even when he's at work and he says, what's the notification? And then it's, you know, it's, it's Cam's Taylor letting you know that the winter collection is in and you're saying, okay, and I'd like to see that. And we can actually send you pictures, a link to your phone showing you pictures directly and then ask you, do you want to purchase? And, and because of the level of customization we do, if you purchased with us before, we have your size on file because we're using a voice device. We have your credit card information and your address either through Amazon Pay or if we're doing Google or Bixby. And so that's, again, a way of you're not sharing real estate to whereas this decision is being made across looking at images on you know Instagram and then doing searches on Google to kind of figure out where you want to buy a sweater like that. I'm directly speaking to you and giving you the opportunity to buy from me exclusively. And essentially what I just described is, is a conversation, right? It's not a search and discovery. It's, it's me interacting with you, having your undivided attention and providing value as well. You know, I'm not, I'm not selling you something you're not interested in. It's something that I'm adding value. I'm, I'm uh, giving you the ability to be in, on style and on trend for the season. So, and again, that's a custom men's store or men's stores that we're talking to. So in the realm of voice, it's it's easy because it's an emerging technology for your mind to kind of go, oh, this is Fortune 500 companies doing this or Fortune 100s. But there really is a voice application for every type of brand and, and every type of budget. That's that's crazy. And and I, I mean, I want to dive a little bit deeper really quick just because I'm yeah. fascinated with how this comes up in my in my brain i'm like okay well so what you're saying is is i get home from work mm -hmm. and actually right now as we speak both of my alexa that's in the bedroom so i have an echo in the bedroom i mm -hmm. have a dot in the bathroom above the toilet and then mm -hmm. there's a show in the living room okay the echo in the bathroom and bedroom both have yellow flashing lights so yes. can you explain real quick what those flashing lights are and then maybe how some of the, you know, brands are, can use that like feature. Yeah. In my household, it's usually a message from my wife telling me to make sure I uh, take the trash out and unload the dishwasher before bed. But, uh, as a reminder, but, uh, in most cases, it's a really underserved function, uh, on these devices. Typically it lets you know that your package has been delivered. If you're like a prime member or if you ordered something off of the Google store. But if you have a, a voice skill, yeah, you can send direct messages. We, we've done that with, um, with a couple of our fitness clients to send like daily mindful meditations on a daily basis or somewhat daily basis, uh, to, to clients. But it's, it's a direct message. And I say it's underserved in the sense of once brands really get on this platform, you might be coming home to 50 and then I'm sure things will have to be reevaluated. But yeah, I mean, for the moment, you can just send a direct message. It could be either in your voice. It could be in the device's voice. And again, message whatever you want to your clients. Particularly when we talk to the men's stores, we do, we don't recommend that as the only form of communication. We, we suggest since they're already emailing customers and they are promoting things on Instagram to take advantage of the image aspect, 
of just driving people to the fact that they would use this voice skill, but the voice skill really becomes a place for direct purchases. That's crazy. In terms of like driving traffic to these things, because it seems like it's something that you'll have to drive traffic for or yeah. your actual already created audience. Yeah. But like, can you talk a little bit about, you know, how to drive traffic with an audience that you already have that you've already built and then also yeah. discoverability maybe? Sure. Absolutely. Uh, there is no one size fits all. I mean, that, that I will say is the most common question I'm asked, uh, but any client or, or any prospect, our methodology, and again, it's not a one size fit all. You can, you can talk to other, other providers and, and, and you'll probably get different answers, but. We typically just tell potential clients to use their own channels. And when we say own channels, we mean uh, your website, your Twitter feed, your Facebook page, your Instagram, essentially where you're already engaging with your existing audience and where you're looking to attract. Just more of a fun, fundamental belief in terms of how I approach emerging tech is you're already integrating something new into your marketing mix. So you don't want to have to reinvent the wheel of who's going to use it or try to find new users. We recommend just promoting it on, on own channels. As far as discoverability, we also recommend letting people know when the skill is about to, to launch and whether that be buying some, some new media across Facebook or Instagram doing paid social ads to let people know or let an audience know that your voice skill is launching is, is typically how we go about it. Our strategy has really been more or less, has been less, I should say, about new users to the voice skill but just trying to engage more with your existing audience and, and trying to get them to take whatever action you want. In the case of our fitness clients, and if it's buy more packages and buy more merchandise, do that. In regards to other clients, it might just be you want them to be more aware of, of your messaging or if we're, like if we're working with an author and apologize rambling here a little bit, but sometimes authors don't have anything to sell, but they just want people to be aware of articles that they're writing that's leading up to a book. And so those are the type of, of discussions we've had with prospective clients and how to promote it. Thanks so much for, for diving deeper there. That's it's super helpful. And sure. I'm going to ask a million questions on this. Rob, is there anything that you want to add on to, to what Cam said? I think he covered it, honestly. Uh, I he couldn't have said it better myself. So I love it. Okay. So you, you touched on this a little bit. Cam, um, but about like what sorts of brands should you use voice? So I know you mentioned fashion. Are there any other brands that you both are particularly, I guess, fond of using voice as a platform? Well, I think one thing that, and it ties really nicely into the, the whole concept of building community. One thing that we've always thought would be an incredible application would be tapping into the, the sneaker culture. You know, I happen to be a sneakerhead myself and, and just I've been one for a while. And really feel like it, it fits perfectly on voice, really fits, it ties nicely into the whole concept of community, sharing and cultivating um, common interests, you know, having a uniform experience and then, you know, getting to know people. A lot of times, you know, it's about the relationship and, and sharing, you know, good and bad stories, struggles and wins. And I feel like that, that, that is very evident in the sneaker culture, not to mention there's a lot of expression there. And I feel like, you know, every pair of, of shoes that people cop are tied to some specific story, which, you know, has a, a 
a string in someone's heart and really just evokes an emotion. And so we always thought there would be a great opportunity to tap in that into that almost $100 billion market, especially using an influencer. And the, the person that we always bounce around would be PJ Tucker. The guy is recognized as a sneaker king. It's pretty commonly known in the sneaker world that he is an absolute game changer. You know, sometimes during NBA games, he's wearing two to three sneakers per game. As recently as last night, ESPN was showcasing the fact that Chris Paul just gave him a custom pair of his own sneakers. So I feel like, you know, really building his own brand through voice, perhaps like some type of flash briefing to really showcase and highlight the story behind his sneakers. But then take it to the next level and, and really and try and monetize the fact that we know that the resale market in sneakers is extremely popular at the moment. You have StockX and Goat, just to name a couple. And I, we thought it would be really cool if there was an opportunity to go on your Amazon Echo and say, well, what pair of sneakers was PJ Tucker wearing last night and where do I cop those? I thought that was just a really easy way to tie back to the technology, to a uniform uh, and common practice within the sneaker market. And we thought there's an opportunity also to really make sure that there was an ongoing engagement with PJ by sharing his stories and really uh, personalizing his brand based on his experience and his love for sneakers. That's such a smart idea. I'm so mind-blown because, like, you got my brain going with the different ways that so many athletes can use voice as a platform you're saying that being able to continue the engagement with your you know favorite player through the power of voice and then talking about stuff that brands could potentially leverage to not only hit on the fan interest and fan love but also like the nostalgia the ease of purchase but then also maybe doing exclusives so like that to me is just i'm i'm mind blown right now i'm 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 trying to gather my thoughts but it's very hard right now there's so much opportunity out there, and that's what we're so excited about as well. Just touching on, on the athlete thing, and, and don't want to be repetitive because I did share this on Carrie's podcast and how you and I connected, but I think really the, the, the spark that kind of triggered how athletes could use voice is we were doing some consultation in the political realm. This was early in the, the Democratic race, and a few politicians had reached out not specifically even about voice, but really just more so about emerging tech or what was going to be this campaign's social media in terms of the ways that social media has influenced the past two campaigns. And that in itself is, is, a, is a whole podcast. So I won't delve too deep into that. But kind of one of the things we were seeing on voice is, again, going back to that real estate play was you're not on Twitter with millions of other people hoping your tweet gets shared or, or trying to build an audience or trying to break through that clutter. If you're having your base go directly to voice, you can do a daily flash brief and let them know how you're doing with campaign funding, where you stand with your policies, and where you're going to appear that week, right? Like, I'm going to be on MSNBC this week, I'm going to be on CNN. And the more as we kind of work through that strategy of kind of being like, wow, we can take that, the base from people who are receiving emails, which is really big in the political realm of how they run campaigns and keep you informed, and just get a certain portion of that on the voice platforms, that would be really powerful. Concurrently, while that was happening, it was uh, the football offseason, and Odell Beckham had just gotten traded, or, yeah, just gotten traded. So around that time, he'd gotten traded to the Cleveland Browns. And I, I'm neither an Odell fan or not an Odell fan, but kind of felt that a lot of the feedback and headlines about him kind of was tenuous. So they were just really making him out to be 
somewhat of a bad guy and it was kind of like, okay, but where's the meat to the story, right? It was sort of like Odell Beckham, you know, didn't go to voluntary workouts, but he's, he was at Drake's concert and you kind of think in terms of how words in themselves are powerful, like, wait, so we're knocking him for not going to a voluntary workout and enjoying his off season as a young millionaire hanging out with Drake. We're giving Drake a lot of love on this podcast. We are. We are. Um, but that kind of tied back to, like, I've never heard Odell Beckham actually speak that often about who he really is. And so we just started to kind of noodle with this of, like, okay, we're doing this for politicians, but this would also be really interesting for athletes to kind of share who they really are. Because I think in the sense of a lot of them, they play for these leagues and they're kind of seen as robotic, right? Like every Sunday, Odell Beckham just appears from underneath the stadium and plays. But obviously he, like any person, is much more dynamic than that. Like he's a human. He he, he feels things. He, uh, he lives a life. And so as we've started to evolve those ideas, that's kind of where we've netted out with people like a PJ Tucker. They're just, he loves fashion. He loves sneakers. The sneakerhead community is a community platform, voice is a platform that can cultivate that. And then again, as Rob closed off of the merchandise piece of if you have a marketplace, that's the easiest transaction in history. You're using your voice to purchase. So that, that was really the evolution of it. And we're really excited to see where it goes. Did you just say it's the easiest transaction in history? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so could you share with us why? Because I don't know about anyone listening, but you just saying that out loud, I couldn't let that slip by. <laughs> so I guess could you explain some context into why you both believe that is, and then maybe share with people how that in-app purchase works in voice? Yeah, I mean, essentially, it's as simple as storing your credit card in a secure platform. Let's say it's Amazon.com or Google Play. Ultimately, you would store that information and just utilize your voice to activate the purchase. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of going online, you have to log on, right? You, even if it's stored, you still you have to log on. You have to give your credentials. You have to pull up your credit card information and make a payment. Whereas if you're using an Amazon device, again, your address is stored, your credit card information is stored. And so you're just activating that with your voice, which it recognizes, and telling it to make a purchase. And because it has your home address, it's delivered at your convenience. And so you're not using your phone, you're not taking out a laptop, and you're not losing time away from, from your loved ones. So you can just be you know, on the couch with family and friends and say, hey, you know what, I'm going to get those pair of sneakers that PJ Tucker's wearing. All you have to say is, hey, can you can you order those sneakers? And so... I mean, that's, that's the ease of it. And that's why we see it as the easiest transaction in history. And when you see, again, something like one in five people are making transactions on it, you know that that number is only going to, only going to increase because of the ease of use. Got it. And then when you say one in five people, do you mean one in five users of a voice platform or? Just yeah, correct. I'm sorry. One in five users of a voice platform. Uh, and that number skews heavier with, uh, with the younger audience, with, uh, millennials. So as brands kind of think about how this platform will evolve, you have the younger audience, whereas it's, it's already common nature to them to make purchases. And so as they get older, th this is going to be what they're gravitating towards. Got it. And I mean, I'm not going to lie. Last week, Alexa saw that we had purchased the whatever. What was the notification they gave us? It was I forget exactly what the first one was, but the note. Remember, I told you we had that yellow ring. 
Yeah. So we had one. I forget what exactly it was for. And then after that happened, it goes, hi, we noticed you haven't purchased Downey Unstoppable in a couple of weeks. What can we order now? We were like, what? Literally laying in bed, like, yo, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. That's yeah. That was like my first example of like maybe what you guys are talking about. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're platform uh, agnostic, and so we work with clients in terms of whichever platform fits their strategy. Now, with that being said, Amazon owns, in terms of voice speakers, 60, about 60% of the marketplace. Google is about 25%. And then in the last portion, it's a combination of Samsung, Bixby, Apple, Siri, and then just smaller players in the marketplace. So I will say that most of our strategies, because they have such a big portion of the marketplace, geared towards Amazon. But I think just also we salute Amazon in the sense of if you're working with them and why their, their media services are so impressive, they have over 25 years of consumer data. And so in regards to other media platforms who can kind of tell you intents or what people's interests are based on search behavior or posts that they're liking, Amazon can actually tie that back to purchase intent. And that, that's, that's powerful if you, if you really think about it. 25 years of kind of understanding which patterns are going to lead to purchase. And so we, we just think the uh, the future with Amazon and Amazon Alexa and using their marketplaces and, and leveraging that data it, it is, again, just going to be very powerful. That's crazy. Did you guys also see, and I don't know if this is something you've been following as well, but I noticed, I don't know if it was today or yesterday on one of the podcasts I listened to, but they Google mentioned that they were opening up a checking account. I did see that. I bro, I'm, I'm, yeah, I don't know. You want to talk about that real quick? Like, how are you feeling about that? You know, I, <laughs> I sort of feel like that would be an area I would steer clear of, although they have gotten into the electronic payments. I know with Apple get, working with Goldman to get a, their own credit card, maybe it was just something that they felt like they needed to explore. But I haven't had an opportunity to dive deep enough into the facts uh, to really make an accurate assessment. So before I jump the gun, um, that, those are just my initial thoughts. I, I feel like every Google release, I'm always like, this one has crossed the line and I'm not going to do it, doing it. So, um, I love, I love Google's products. So, uh, I, I don't want to jump the gun. I kind of have the same reaction as you guys have, but you know, I mean, our company is run off of Google Drive and other Google products. And, and I think they, they do have uh, a really good experience in terms of their products. So interested to see what happens. Yeah, same. I mean, like, the, I mean, the, at the end of the day, the interesting thing that I found about it was that they're partnering with, I think it was Citibank to do the back end and like they don't want to actually become a bank. But what they do want to do is have the, the user interface and, and provide people a way to, you know, use purchases, which Kind of to your point of Amazon having 25 years of consumer data, it's like, okay, well, how can we get even more direct access to some of this data to maybe make a better purchasing experience for the consumers? Right. Um, also, in turn, will also drive up the revenue, obviously. But right. that's just my two cents on that. No, I think that's spot on. I, it actually makes me feel more comfortable that Citibank's involved, personally. <laughs> that's good to know. And, I mean, Citibank, there you go. You have some trust being <laughs> For people, so if you if you ever listen to this, anyone from Citibank, then like, good job, y'all. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I I actually I would love to to kind of wrap up with your both both of your perspectives and takes on 
how people can use voice to build community and bring people together? I think in terms of building a community, again, voice is your own ownable space and your way to message to your audience. You get to cultivate your culture with them. And so I think that's really where voice can help. You know, we, we've, we've tossed around a lot of terms about today's podcast and I think we've talked about, you know, the campfire effect, the cognitive effect of voice, the imagination that it sparks. Rob talked about the familiar archetypes. And so I think voice can cultivate your community by bringing those power themes across at, at the frequency that you want to, to speak with your audience. And so again, I, I think. If there's just a lot of opportunity right now in voice. I think it's past the testing and learning phase, and it's something that every brand should be considering at this point. Yeah, and just to expand upon that, I feel like, you know, every brand at this point, you know, I should just have a presence in some capacity. Don't feel intimidated to necessarily, have, you know, make an enormous splash, but make sure that you you are really getting into this space sooner rather than later. I also think, you know, it doesn't have to be your entire marketing campaign, but tell your story and identify and carve out a space where voice can help amplify the the story you're telling through other channels. So basically to back up for the people that that heard this and, and got all that value of, you know, okay, like you guys need to have a present in some capacity. It doesn't have to be your full strategy. It doesn't have to be, you know, a hundred percent of what you're focused on, but maybe just a small piece, like even a two percent piece of what you're doing. What are some ways that people, whether it be, you know, an entrepreneur, a business owner, or a athlete, or even a marketer, or someone that's working for a company at any capacity, what ways could you guys recommend that they take some small steps to get into this? Because I, I know personally, like Cam, even when we chatted about it, you're like, oh. Like, if you want to get started in this, I take it slow, yeah. start with something simple. So, like, what ways or what action steps can you maybe provide to people? I, I think, again, what we counsel brands on is not to, to reinvent the wheel or, or, or try to create a new image for yourself just because you're doing something innovative or, or emerging. It's still what are your goals, right? Like, when you sit down and you do your annual planning for – 2020, what are your goals? Is, is, it, is it more sales? Is it more awareness, etc.? And so then it's, then it's how do you bring voice into that equation? I think though, to answer your question more on a te- tactical level, because I know often when I kind of leave people with that, they're like, but give me an example. Um, so I, you know, to give you an example, we, we're big into daily flash briefings. And so I think the word daily in itself can sometimes give brands or brand managers anxiety because then they're thinking, oh man, I have to do content on a daily basis. But the majority of brands nowadays, even small businesses do do some sort of daily content, whether it be posted on Twitter or on Facebook. And so we know Rob talked about how humans are creatures of habit. And so habitually, and I talked about my wife doing, you know, good morning, Alexa, we know that people have their routines on these devices and a lot of them are, are broken up by day part, whether that be a morning routine, afternoon routine, because a lot of these devices are now in the office or when they come home from work. And so if you do these daily briefings and your audience or your customers put you as part of their routines, that's a way to connect with them on a daily basis. And also that information can, can be very punchy. So if you think about the WNBA, for example, it was something that we, we, we've talked about. Uh, if the WNBA is part of your daily routine, wouldn't it be cool to know that, you know, the New York Liberty 
our, our plane tonight, who the starting lineup is going to be, and then do you want to purchase tickets to it as part of your morning routine or just hearing that on a daily basis to kind of know who's starting tonight, who are they playing, and our tickets are available. And so that's something that's – that content's available, right? <laughs> that, that's not anything new. You have to rejigger, and that could be very a very – captivating way to get more people to go to games and to garner interest. And that works for a number of sports leagues, but we just, we thought a lot about the WNBA because they, they do a lot of promotions, et cetera. And it just kind of felt like, well, that's a brand that would work well on voice. So I think for brands who are just saying, how can I get started at a cost effective way and maybe even test engagement and whatever metrics, I think daily flash briefings is a good way to start. I love it. And I, I'm going to poke one more because I'm, I don't know, my friends call me the king of a poker. No, it's all good, man. In terms of like the investment, right? Like, cause w- sometimes I find when talking with brands, like, like, well, we've already allocated our 2020 <laughs> budget to every single thing that we know we're going to do. Yeah. And I'm like, all right. Well, let's be real. Y'all just spent $2,000 on happy hour. <laughs> let's go. So. I guess like, <laughs> I'd be mean, sorry. It's just the truth, bro. Like it, yeah. if you go to companies, it's like, yo, how much did y'all spend on happy hours this week? I'm not going to name any companies, but like it, it yeah. happens. Yeah. So how, and I guess you don't have to give away any actual numbers, but how much or how much of an investment is getting started in this space? Like, like I, I'm just curious for myself. So do you mean to do something like daily flash briefings? Or? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Okay. I think you can get started for sub 20k and, and have great impact if you wanted to test the waters and see what voice could do for you. I think that that could definitely work. I, I would say what what I've seen more so with brands is uh, they come in wanting to just test the waters and be cost effective, and then once they start understanding our tech platform and how we approach voice, that's when the price starts going up because they want to do more. They want to do more than just the daily flash briefings, but I, I don't think cost should be a prohibitive factor for brands to work, whether it be with us or, or any, anybody, any other agencies in the world of voice. I, I think you have, you know, you have to ask the question. You're not poking, right? One of the rules in terms of business development and, and sales is you got to be specific and you have to ask questions. And I feel like sometimes saying I can't do it because I don't have the budget and you don't know the cost. That just feels counterintuitive. Got it. And I, no, I love that. And thanks so much for the, for the clarity yeah. because the investment that, and, and this is more specifically for the people that work in marketing at companies I've seen. And again, not to name names or clients of the best, but I've seen people spend $75,000 to get a landing page built. Wow. So this day and age, really? Yeah, yeah. So, but, but even at the time it was purchased, I was just like, are you kidding me? Ah, okay. But so seeing that and then even seeing companies spend hundreds of thousands, some people have million dollar Google AdWords spends. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, for those people that might even potentially come across this, it's like, yo, for less than 20 K, which is like half a day's ad spend on like a platform that you're probably not getting that many results from. Yeah. Test out a new platform. Yeah. And it's the original audience. See what you get. The landing page, I'm kind of just blown away by it, but I think that's interesting feedback from you. And I think one of the things 
we even find uh, when people ask which industry gets voiced the most, my answer to that is typically wine and spirits. I think Bacardi really, uh, Diageo, excuse me, really forged the path early in getting into voice. And so I found discussions with vineyards to be a little bit more advanced than, than other industries because people nod to what Diageo is doing this and having success but even finding that no two organizations, even within the same industry, are run the same. And so I hear I hear what you're saying, but I feel like everyone deals with different stress and different pressures at work. And some organizations might not just be ready for, I wouldn't even say voice, but just for innovation right now. And I think that's part of the prospecting that we do and the conversations that we have of just trying to see who is ready for this. I think, though, to kind of touch on that point in terms of, a small business that we worked with that had a lot of success was a yoga studio. And I mean, our initial conversations, again, it wasn't about voice. She really, she reached out to me as someone in her network about social media. And she, she talked a lot about ROIs and needing to see key performance indicators. And as we kind of spoke more, we talked about those were the early days of fighting the feed. It was called something else at that point. But kind of explaining if someone is looking for a yoga studio in your city, I did a quick Yelp search and there was like, I think 15 within a 20 mile radius of her yoga studio and all their social media looked pretty much the same of instructors doing different poses and, and really cool outfits and looking like a lot of fun. And so it was, how do you differentiate yourself in terms of are you going to hire a better photographer? Are you going to find a cooler outfit? And so then we started talking about voice and a lot of really what spurred her to to move forward and, and take a chance with voice was she really moved away from that ROI and KPI conversation to more so just common sense. And when I say and that's not meant as like a ding, but I'm, I mean that in the sense of like her challenges with the yoga studio were getting people to read new packages. Her challenges with the yoga studio was she wanted to do a merch line and she wanted a way to get it out to people when things dropped and so she wouldn't be sitting on inventory. And so in explaining what a voice channel and voice skill could do for her, it addressed all those needs to the point where numbers became still important, but they weren't the end all be all. It just was, okay, this is going to help people communicate more with me. I'm going to be able to communicate more with them. And this is going to lead to less cancellations and more purchases of packages, which it has. And so I think that's really when you can get brands, influencers and celebrities thinking like that and not so tied to maybe the stressors of how am I going to explain this to my boss that it, that it's going to work and more so them kind of seeing the, well, the endless years of digital marketing and how websites have worked and how social media has worked. This is just an extension of that. And it's in, it's playing off of those best practices. I think that's when you, when we have found the most success in one clients. I absolutely love that. And I think that's a perfect way to wrap up. And what I like to do at the end of every show, which I'm trying to implement more of, but I want to, for you guys to either share a, something that you're currently learning in the world of voice that you might not have touched on and you haven't formed your opinion around just kind of like a, well, what have you, where do you guys learn from and what information is interesting to you as far as is the cutting edge? And for a lot of people listening, I feel like this might be their first introduction to voice. So giving them kind of like a nugget or a place to either go look for information or just, you know, maybe Google something after the episode. 
definitely would love for you guys to share that if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. So in terms of where, where I get, um, and even taking a step back, I think one of the cool things about working in voice is how collaborative the entire community is. Even when I joined, I felt like people were very welcoming when I went to networking events and, and guided me in places to learn more about things that, that, that probably at the time weren't my focus and probably were a weakness in terms of exactly how our voice skills developed, exactly how our flash briefings administered. And so I, I always say that for people who are looking for career changes or just what's next in digital beyond voice, just being a lot of fun. Some of the nicest people you will, you'll, you'll come across professionally and personally. So I'll start there in terms of, I, I follow in particular Brett Kinsella and Eric Schwartz of VoiceBot AI, two very genuine guys, two very good dudes. And I go to VoiceBot AI every morning. So the way financial bankers, investment bankers go to the Wall Street Journal, that's what I check out, as well as any of the events and news on, on Voice Summit AI. And, and there's people in the industry that I'm just very impressed by and always checking on them on LinkedIn and Twitter. So Scott and Sarah Westwater, definitely like two of the most genuine people you'll meet. Uh, definitely recommend them. The gentleman over at VoxUp, Sajeev and Sandeep, Bradley Metrock, just countless others. But it's a really welcoming community, but I would tell people to start with those suggestions of, of where to start. Emily Binder, who's doing a lot of great things in the world of voice and finance. Kerry Roberts, who you and I both know from Voice Summit AI, so just a lot of great folks. Uh, what am I currently learning? I'm, I'm learning more about the Amazon marketplace. I had done some work in the marketplace earlier in, in my evolution into voice. But in terms of as we evolve and noodle with ideas like what we shared about PJ Tucker and with the tailors, we feel like there's just a great opportunity to tie voice and overarching Amazon experiences to the, to the marketplace. I kind of found when I was doing it, the end product was, was functional and maybe that's being kind. I'm, I'm not a designer by any means, but um, I'm trying to get a little stronger in that area to really create great marketplace experiences that tie back to the voice skills that we're doing. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm learning every day as well. And, and just said excited for the future. I love it. Rob, what about you? I definitely still go to VoiceBot AI, like Cam mentioned as well. I think it's a, a one-stop shop for all the latest and greatest. I do also use LinkedIn to follow a number of key influencers just to keep, stay top of mind on what they're, they're talking about in the space. Um, I think one thing that I'm really just interested in is is really just how voice can ultimately enhance like live experiences, whether it be concerts or, you know, listening to an album on Spotify, that type of thing, really just taking a next step to provide a better experience for customers in the moment. I think there's just a real opportunity there. I love it. And I guess I'm also one last question. I'm just, I I can ask questions for days, y'all. Um, (laughs) But, we, got, we got the time today, man. I, I told Rob, I said Travis has got a real good energy. I know we're scheduled for whatever time, but I was like, you got you to gotta keep a, at least a couple hours open. So you, we feel like family with you, man. So we're, we're in no rush. We got, we got the time. We, we appreciate you for having us on and we salute you. We love the podcast, as I mentioned when we first got on. So you, you got us, bro. Oh, yeah, man. we're huge, huge fans. Always have time for good people. Oh man, no, that means a lot. I'm over here trying to run through the last couple of questions and now, <laughs> gosh, wait a minute. But this is, no, that, that means a lot, you guys, cause I, one thing that I've been 
I guess not so, I guess great at is like sharing more of the story and sharing the podcast with the world in a way. And one person that has helped me tremendously in this journey has been my audio team over at Cruise Control Music. And what he's doing is, is something I find super interesting that he's using audio branding and an audio logo. So like the little jingles and the little like, I don't know what you even call it. What do people call those nowadays? Son- you- Son- yeah, Sonic. Bra- yeah, I know what you're talking about. I think it's known as Sonic branding, but essentially it's the jingles of when we were all kids. Exactly. So Sonic branding. I, I feel like audio branding, Sonic branding, like jingles, they're all in that world. And I just call it audio branding. One thing that he's doing, which I found super interesting, is that he's helping people put together custom songs to go behind different posts. I like, love that. So, like, you tell me, like, hey, this is the message that I want to get across, and this is what I want to say, and he'll create an actual song to go to your words. And I was like, my, one reason why I brought this up is because, A, like what impact, if at all, do you think adding music to the the component of voice would bring to that experience? And then as a follow-up, it's like, well, what have you seen people implementing sonic branding at all on top of the voice, or has it just been strictly voice? So it's like a two-part question. Sure. Uh, I, I love I love the idea. We've there hasn't been music per se, but we in one of our fitness clients we were talking to him about what does it take for somebody to convert onto or to buy a package. Right. And his, he's, he's based in New York. His sessions are, are higher than what probably most of America is, is used to, but his costs are based upon the cost of living in New York. And so he was explaining to us that getting someone in for an initial free session isn't challenging, but he also really wants to represent what the workout is like. And so it's, it's kind of a delicate balance in the sense of if he goes too easy, they're going to be like, oh, I'm not going to see results from him. But if he does even kind of the moderate version of his workout, and we've both been through it. I mean, he's a great trainer. People are sort of like, whoa, right? And so he's kind of found the balance of what's the type initial workout, but he knows people leave his workouts thinking, am I really going to be committed to this? And he's honest with people about to see great results or initial results. It's going to take about three months and, usually cleaning up their diet, but so it's a pretty significant financial investment. And that's usually, as he's just acknowledged, that's where people's heads go. Of, Am I going to be able to afford this long-term or do I just cut bait now? And I said, well, uh, help me understand, like the, because the, he has a pretty good stable of clients. I said, people who've converted even recently, what did it? And he actually said it was just a conversation. And I said, all right, we got to delve into that more. And he said, yeah, it's, it's typically explaining to them what just happened to them in the workout, why their arms feel that way, why they're already seeing a little bit of definition like in their back, et cetera. And he said, kind of once my methodology and approach is explained and it means a little bit more because they just experienced it, they usually convert. And so we've been talking to him about, call it Sonic Brandon, Audio Brandon, of you need to bring that across to your clients, but it shouldn't be like a long form podcast where people need to listen for an hour or 30 minutes. It just needs to be snackable, like what you just told me. And so we've been talking to him about how do we bring that across to you doing these audio snippets that will help him convert people and sending that through email or post 
So we see a lot of opportunity with, with Sonic Brandon or even just noticing the brand. There's essentially let's call them what it is, jingles, but even noticing the brand the moment you kind of hear that sound. And we've even been thinking about that for conversational theater of what would be that noise of when we start a presentation where clients lean in and like, oh, I know these guys or I've heard of these guys in general. So we're big fans. Of, we're big fans of the idea. I would be more than happy to connect you guys with, with Justin. He's done an awesome job of like he I don't know if you've heard the music at the beginning of the podcast. Have you guys heard that? Yeah. Yeah. That was all Justin literally had me in the studio like I was Lil Wayne, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> but we would love the connection. Yeah. yeah, no, I'll de- I'll definitely I'll definitely connect you guys um after this. This uh, could be trouble though. I might just post on posting everything on Instagram with eighty seven oh one behind it and just like, you know, that would that'll just be my thing. I mean, yo, he could probably come up with something. <laughs> Whatever you give him, he literally took he took all the old songs that I spit at him of like, you know, I used to use, you know, copyright free music. And he was like, all right, what is your ideal sound? I'm like, what you mean? Like, I don't know. Like, it got me from not knowing what my ideal sound was to then being able to create a song like you guys heard. And it's not like getting a song off of Fiverr or, like, just getting someone to make you a song to go behind your podcast. You know what I mean? Yeah. He listened to what I was feeling and what sort of message I wanted to get across. And then literally took the songs that I gave him. I was like, yo, here's a Spotify playlist. Here's what I listened to. Here's what I used. And then he mashed that all together into a specific sound. And then also coached me up through, you know, what to say, what words go well, how to get this into 15 seconds. So it was a, it was a full-on experience where, I, like I said, I literally felt like I was Lil Wayne or Drake in the studio <laughs> with the producer. And I don't talk about that enough. One one reason I'm sharing that right now is because I, I, I work with a lot of people that want to get podcasts started. And a lot of times they're, you know, wanting to get it off the ground and they're not really thinking about, okay, well, what does my audio strategy sound like? Yeah. And, like, I'm up. Uh, microphone and a pop filter from Amazon is not the world-class level of production. You know what I mean? Yeah. I love what you're saying, Travis. I think there's obviously the business strategy side of it, but I also think don't discount, like, the story component that, you know, what you mentioned about Lil Wayne being in the studio. Like, I I feel like that's a – I don't want that to get lost because I think that's a really cool component behind your own personal brand. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And I, I need more people like you, Cam, and you, Rob, to, to remind me of that because I, I, we have the footage, we have all the, the, the documentation of it, but it's that stuff that it's in the archive. And like what the, the main reason why I want to share this is because I want for people that listen to this, I want you to start to understand what taking a podcast seriously might look like. For me, I'll be the first to tell you, I put out initial you know, I think it was like 13 episodes or so and got to the point where I just started recording and I didn't have the energy or the resources to keep putting them out to the extent that now I have over, you know, 40 or so episodes. Who knows how many are going to be out once this is released. Yeah. But I just went into heads down mode, get the conversations and go back to the drawing board after the conversations are recorded. Because you can always post edit and get things, you know, edited, sure. but you can't always get the guests 
on the show. That's something you're not always going to be able to do. So, like, wrapping that all up, taking a really strong approach to, you know, having an audio strategy, thinking about what your, you know, maybe little jingle sounds like, thinking about getting high-quality equipment, thinking about how you use your words, think about the story you tell people, and not just getting a song off of Fiverr. For me, it, it wasn't just like, oh, like, I, I was doing it, normal stuff, you know, I had a blue ball mic, like, very simple things. And then now I'm like, okay, let's start investing in this audio equipment. Right. And start figuring out how to take my experience to the new level. And for, for everybody that's listening, it's like, well, all of this stuff that we're talking about, voice and audio branding and how brands can tap into a whole new platform and actually be on the cutting edge of technology that's coming out in the world. It's like, these are all things that actually take thought, energy, and work. Like, it's not a buy something from Amazon, record a conversation, and put it out. It's going to take a little bit more to keep it going because you're going to eventually get burnt out. You're going to get tired of doing it if you don't really do it for the right reasons. And so, like, that's one thing that I went through of, oh, wow, like, this might not be the the thing I need to do right now because it's like, oh, man, like, this felt like a chore. So, like, I, I just wanted, I wanted to share that because that's something I feel like I've never shared with anybody. And but, you know, you know what you have and, and what uh, I, I texted two nights ago uh, when I was listening to to your other episodes to kind of understand, like, you and I spoke in person, but I wanted to understand your interview style and what you might ask. And this is not uh, a humble brag, but Rob and I do get asked to do a lot of podcasts because voice is so big. And, and sometimes, a lot of times, actually, we say no. And so I think piggybacking off of what you said, one, I think the number of people are doing podcasts to say they have podcasts more as like a resume thing. And when I we consider doing their shows, we opt not to because it feels like vanilla. We don't want to go on and just be the voice guys, right? We love the fact that you let us really get into our creative bag and share ideas like PJ Tucker, like what we're doing with, with Taylor's, what we're thinking about for the WNBA, what we've done with fitness studios. So I think your authenticity and how genuine you are really comes through. And so we just kind of felt like we knew there'd be good energy and it'd be, be a great conversation. But in terms of listening to the range of people you have interviewed, you've got a book, man. You've got a book. I mean, you could either write it yourself or, or have somebody else, a professional author, transcribe it for you. But I think you have such an interest in your collection of what community means. It's almost like an anthology, too, of you yeah. looking at it through you have people who, who kind of broke down like the theory of the foundations of community. But I think also there, there's time periods also in your podcast, things I never thought about either. that was like really captivating. And so I, I think you're sitting on a lot of great content. Yeah, we salute you, man. I couldn't agree more. I think one of the things I was just so impressed by was that there was such a range of perspectives and, and different types of people from all walks of life. But But you identified like a universal common thread. That's something that's important to all of us, and it's very real. And I think Cam and I take a lot of pride in building authentic brands and authentic storytelling, and we we saw that same genuine authenticity in the work you're doing. So, like I said, we mentioned earlier, we're big fans and big advocates of yours, and just want you to know that. Hey, y'all about to make me cry through this microphone. Doing your thing, my man. No, but you, you need to do that book, man. I'm telling you, you've got a book there. You've, you've got a few books, actually. You said 40 podcasts, but 
there definitely is a connected thread and there's just so much information in it as as well. And so you've talked about one of your passions is learning. And that was just very clear. Most people don't seek out the people you've interviewed just because they're not, not to say that you're not like-minded, but you're not in the same industry per se. You probably don't have the same interest in music or movies, but you seek them out. And as I said, like Rob said, that authenticity comes through. And it was just like, you get people so comfortable that they, they really, they break from the media training as Rob and I did in this as well and get, get verbose, <laughs> get talkative and really share a lot of nuggets of insights. And so we definitely have been recommending your podcast this week to our friends and our network. Uh, there's definitely something you need to add to your list. Man, y'all, I don't even know what to say to that besides thank you. And it, it's, it's interesting that you say that and I, I love it mainly also because I've never heard it. So <laughs> But thank you for, for sharing that message. It definitely means a lot to me. And number two, as I got back home last night from a flag football game, I played flag football on Wednesdays at Hoboken with the homies. We got the W. Team got a little mad at me because I was quiet all game. Then all of a sudden, I kept breaking one of the dudes' cushions, and he was like, yo, man, like, what, what, what like, why are you talking now? I'm like, bro, I break your cushion every time. It's automatic <laughs> pass interference. If we were playing real football, you would have had 15 flags by now, and we'd be on the one-yard line. Yeah. We won't go into that. And I got back home, and I was literally thinking of, like, what I wanted to do in 2020. One of the things on my list was literally talk to people who I've interviewed and maybe ask them what the beginning stages of writing a book might look like. Yeah. And you guys literally just echoed that thought into the universe, but out through your actual mouths. And so now I'm like, ah, sucky, sucky now. <laughs> Gotta maybe go talk to these people about some book stuff because that's something like, even as we're sitting here right now, I have 13 notebooks from previous, you know, jobs, roles, times in my life. And well, since I started working. So since 2014, I guess was like the first real job till like 2019 now. So five years worth of business knowledge. And that's not including like the podcast stuff. That's right. just in business, like taking notes in offices, in meetings, inside of companies. And I'm like, one of my friends was like, dude, like, you know, you could sell this stuff, right? I'm like, yeah, I, yeah, it's just like how I learn. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's like, no, 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 but no, but really, no, Trav, like, you, you, you should sell this stuff. And I was like, uh, let me think about that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess my first question now is like, do y'all know anybody that's written books? And if so, y'all trying yeah. to connect your brother? <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And I know quite a few people who, who've gotten in the books and it was the same, similar type of, I guess, trigger or what initiated it is they just realized that they were sitting on, on a lot of valuable content and also it was something that they were passionate and authentic about. So I could definitely reach out, but I have, I have quite a few friends who have published books. Both, both have self-published and some have gone through the, uh, the publishing house route. Interesting. And that's actually one thing I'm on my, like, I'm on my rust grind where I'm like, yo, I didn't really do too much with, like, I literally, it was a friend who I actually met through, it's crazy how I met my audio engineer, saw a Gary Vee post, saw a woman in the post who's from New Jersey, mm -hmm. interviewed her on the podcast, and then the person that she connected me with that was in her life was actually now who's my audio engineer. So, I mean, I, just, I don't know. That's a story in and of itself, I feel like. Yeah, man, that's the universe working in your favor. 
in terms of where to find you guys online, like where can people stay connected with you guys after the show? We need to get our website up. Um, yeah, our website. <laughs> I heard that in your voice. Uh, no, our our website is, is is coming soon. We can give you in the show notes our um, our email addresses. Cam at Convo Theater, Rob at Convo Theater. The website should be up within a week's time. And that's the best way to find us. We're both very active on Twitter in terms of conversations about all things tech, not just voice. So, yeah, reach out. Let's have a conversation. The name of the company is Conversational Theater. The idea of pulling across a number of the themes you've heard today, we we put together voice experiences that are uh, spark the theater of the mind, as we call it. And so we work across all brands, Fortune 500 companies, influencers, celebrities, small business. We work across everybody. Voice experiences that spark the theater of the mind. Yeah. I love that. I'm over here, and I'm laughing in my head, too, because the way that most podcasts start off, it's like, hey, y'all, here's who I'm talking with today. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, and I'm, again, I'm, I'm more of a, what's the word? I like to call myself a, a change agent rather than a misfit. Mainly because, like, I just, for me, it's like, this is the way that I find that works well for episodes. And now I'm like, wait a minute, I need to get them to, to do a little mini plug for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's all good. Like we said, today felt like hanging out with family, man. So we, we appreciated the conversation, talking about voice, tech, and getting to learn more about you and your podcast. Thanks for listening to the Community Builder Podcast. If you received an ounce of value from this podcast, share it with your friends. Oh, yeah. Don't forget to leave me a five-star review. I need those. Remember, each perfectly laid brick moves you one step closer to building your community.